Today on Locked on Mariners, an overachieving straight-laced college kid accidentally gets addicted to speed while preparing for a big test. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey Martin, and thank you out there in podcast land for looking us up today. I am D.C. Lundberg here to present yet another episode of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download, rate, and follow this program using whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any of the other great programs here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Very easy to do. All you got to do is say, hey, smart device, play Locked On open bracket team name here, close bracket podcast. Before we begin, I want to thank each and every one of you who's been listening to this program on a regular basis. Last week was the most listened to week in the history of Locked On Mariners, and that is on the heels of what had been the biggest week ever. So thank you to you out there for making these last two weeks the most listened to in this show's history. I, I really appreciate it, gang. If you know any Mariners fans, hey, tell them about our little podcast and hopefully they'll tune in and they'll like what they hear. And for those of you joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome. And I also hope that you like what you hear and will continue to tune in. Well, gang, it was a very good weekend for the Mariners. And had anyone but Zach Greinke been pitching for Houston on Saturday, we may very well be talking about a three-game sweep. We'll speak about that game in B-Block, but we shall begin with Friday's game. Something tells me these Monday shows are going to be packed with three previous games to talk about. Prior to Friday's game, Anthony Misevich was activated from the injured list. It was not disclosed why Misevich was placed on the injured list, but it was not the 10-day injured list, nor the 60-day injured list, nor the 7-day concussion injured list. I'm guessing it may have been the COVID injured list, but I cannot say for certain since the Mariners are not going to say for certain. Either way, he missed a week and Eric Swanson was, was returned to the alternate training site. Swanson was very impressive in his two innings against Baltimore. I cannot wait to see him back at the major league level later on this season. He looked like a completely different pitcher. Anyways, both starting pitchers on Friday were pretty good early. Jose Urquidy for the Asterisks and Yusei Kikuchi for the Mariners. Things began to fall apart for Kikuchi-san, but uh, it was not entirely his fault, or his doing rather. And his final pitching line does not tell the whole story about his performance. Houston got its first hit of the game with one out in the fifth, a solid single by Carlos Correa. Then Taylor Jones walked on four pitches. Alex Degoti hit a seeing-eye single between first and second. Correa scored, and right fielder Dylan Moore, who had fielded the ball, threw on to third to try to get Jones, but his throw was way off the mark, easily allowing Jones to score and sending and sending Degoti to second. This was Degoti's first major league hit, by the way, and this was his first game. Chaz McCormick followed with an RBI double in the left center field gap, and the pitch he hit really wasn't that bad. It was a fastball at the letters, but nipping the outside corner. Not a pitch that's usually driven to a hitter's pull field like that. So give McCormick some credit for doing something with the pitch that he should have popped up to shallow right field. Again, Kikuchi-san pitched better than his line indicated. The M's finally got on the board in the sixth against Urquidy. Mitch Hanniger led off with a single. 
Urquidy wild pitched him to second, then Ty France doubled, sending Manager to third. That brought up Kyle Seeger, who has been absolutely fantastic with runners in scoring position thus far. And when a fastball gets hung near the middle of the zone to such a hitter with runners in scoring position, he'll generally make you pay. And that's exactly what happened. Seeger laced a double into the right field corner, scoring Manninger and France to get the M's back in the ballgame. The Trashdros would get those two right back, though, in the next half inning against Kikichisan. Two singles and a walk loaded the bases, and with two out, Alemnis Diaz hit a ground ball past J.P. Crawford at shortstop, plating two runs. And like the double McCormick hit in the fifth, this was not a bad pitch. It was a slider at the bottom of the zone, either just off the outside corner or nipping the outside corner, which Diaz really did not hit all that well. But good enough to sneak past Crawford, if that ball were hit another couple feet or so closer to third base, maybe even less than a foot, Crawford would have scooped it up, thrown on to tie France for the force out to end the inning. But instead, two more runs crossed the plate for Houston, and the inning continued. But not for long, as Kikuchi-san got the next guy. M's got two more across in the bottom of the seventh. With runners at the corners, Manninger got a curveball on the outside corner and poked it into right field for a single. Dylan Moore scored, and J.P. Crawford scooted along to third. Good piece of hitting for Manninger. Too many times we see people trying to pull pitches on the outside corner rather than trying to hit the ball where it's pitched. And not just the young guys. Kyle Seeger falls into this trap quite often as well. Manninger got a relatively tough pitch. There were two strikes on him, so he could not take it and risk looking at strike three. So he more or less just served it to the opposite field on a low-line drive on a very level swing. That's how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to belabor the point because I feel as if I've been talking about this particular subject a lot lately, but good on Manninger for not trying to do too much with a pitch on the outside corner. Anyways, Ty France then came up with runners still at the corners, and he drove a pitch that was pretty well in the center of the plate to the warning track in right field, which went for a sack fly, scoring Crawford. The score at this point was 5-4 for Houston, but Evan White would change that in the 8th with a solo home run. Leading off the ninth with the game still tied at five, J.P. Crawford and Mitch Hanniger drew back-to-back walks on a combined nine pitches. Ty France was up with Crawford representing the winning run at second, and he got a fastball just above the zone in the middle of the plate and drove this pitch out to the warning track and right, but this one split the gap and got down for a, uh, for a hit. Crawford waltzed in with the winning run, and the M's took the first game 6-5. The M's ran into some bad luck in this one, though. Houston made some very good defensive plays to keep more Mariners off the base paths, and Kikuchi had a hard luck day of sorts. Two of the Astros' key uh, hits were on pitches that ordinarily go for outs, but they both went for RBI hits, and his defense let him down to allow a run as well. He goes seven innings, gives up five runs. They were all earned on six hits and three walks. The walks are too many, but I still think this was a good day for Kikuji-san. The two-run double to McCormick could have easily been a pop-out, and the two-run single to Diaz could have easily been a ground-out. Sometimes you just have to tip your cap to the opposition, which we will do in the next segment, but we're not done with this game yet. Kyle Seeger 
he continues to drive in runs. With runners in scoring position, he's hitting 500 so far, 6 for 12. With runners aboard in general, he's hitting 367. With the bases unoccupied, 138. <laughs> I always get a kick out of these early season splits, like when someone is slugging 1,800 or something like that. Anyways, Seager, Seager's career average with runners in scoring position is 260. That's against a career average with no one on base of 244. So he has historically done better in RBI situations. With runners on base at all for a career, he has a 271 average, and 99 of his 209 home runs have come with runners on base in 789 fewer at-bats as he has with the bases empty. J.P. Crawford extended his hitting streak in this one as well. I think we can stop talking about his struggles. He's got a, he's got a swing where he wants it to be, I believe, and he's reaping the benefits. He went one for three in this one with a walk, and after Friday's game, he was hitting two seventy one. Evan White collected two hits, including that home run, and his average rose to one ninety four, which doesn't sound like much, but he started slow and he's heating up. The Mariners drew five bases on balls on Friday. Pretty good total. Struck out nine times, which can be approved upon. White K'd twice, as did Seager and Jose Marmalejos. Marmo did draw one of the walks, however, but Maniger had himself a day. Three hits, a run scored, and one driven in. His OPS after this one broke the 1,000 mark at 1,003. We'll talk about the next game here shortly, but first, the Trivia Corner. Today is April 19th, and this is the anniversary of the first game played in the second oldest American League park. Which stadium is it, and what year did it open? I'll tell you following this word from Blue Nile. This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an, is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're av available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight, and fairly priced so you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring that she will treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They will not be along, around long, however, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Answer to the trivia question on a completely different note now. On April 19th, 1966, Anaheim Stadium hosted, hosted its first Major League Baseball game. Yes, gang, what is now called Angel Stadium is the second oldest ballpark in the American League. Fenway Park is, of course, the oldest, opening five days after the sinking of the Titanic. William Howard Taft was president when Fenway opened. Anyways, Jim Fergosi collected uh, the first hit in Anaheim Stadium in the bottom of the first inning of the inaugural game. A double off Tommy John. The first home run was had by Angels left fielder Rick Reichart, which also accounted for the first run scored. The Angels would go on to lose to the White Sox 3-1 to 
in front of 31,660 fans. Coming up, can you say enough good things about Zach Greinke's performance on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I'm sure you can, especially since this is a Mariners podcast. But first, this word from Bet Online, the, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball's going in full swing almost a month now. NBA's going, NHL's going. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Promo code LOCK. On. Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, DC Lundberg. Thank you very much, JM, and thank you to those listening for sticking around. Get all the sports news that you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every single major sport with the help of our Locked On local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast today, right now. Do it now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Wait until this show's over first and then subscriber. Follow Locked On Today. Nobody uses the word subscribe anymore. Anyways, after taking the first game of the three-game series in exciting fashion on Friday, the M's looked to keep up that momentum on Saturday. And while they got six very good innings from Chris Flexen and the and you know the reigning three from the bullpen, the trash can bangers got eight fantastic innings from Zach Greinke. This was pretty close to a good old-fashioned pitcher's duel, and Greinke certainly did his part. The former Cy Young Award winner scattered four hits in his eight innings and struck out six. He was getting it done the way I like to see. Changing speeds, mixing pitches, fooling hitters, getting weak contact. He was great. There was no other way to put it. He was great. I'm not going to nitpick and complain about the Mariners' offense because nobody was going to get to Grinky on Saturday. He was absolutely on point, using a variety of breaking pitches and off-speed stuff, which made his 87, 88-mile-per-hour fastball seem like it was much faster than it was. I'm not sure the slowest velocity he reached on Saturday, but I know he got at least one curveball down to 67. In his previous start, he lobbed a pitch in the strike zone at 51. Yeah, I don't remember who the batter was, but he looked rather confused as that pitch was crossing the uh, plate and went for a called strike. Anyways, back to Saturday, and Chris Flexen towed the rubber, looking to bounce back from his poor start in his last outing. And he did. In his six innings, he gave up ten hits, but nine of them were singles. And Houston strung a bunch of these singles together really only once. And that was the fourth inning, and that's where they scored their lone run of the day. Michael Brantley led off with a single. Carlos Correa struck out. Alemnis Diaz singled, then Abraham Toro advanced both runners on a ground out. Taylor Jones then singled to bring home Brantley. Both Brantley and Diaz hit pitches that were too near the middle of the zone, while Jones hit one that was on the outside corner, not far enough outside though, nor low enough. However, that was the only run the Trash Drills would score that day, but unfortunately it was the only run either team would score all day. Getting back to Grinky though, this is a perfect example of the type of pitching performance that I love 
love to watch. I find it much more interesting to see a pitcher befuddle hitters by changing speeds, mixing pitches, good breaking stuff, good location, etc., rather than watch uh, somebody simply blow away hitters with 98 mile an hour heat. Grinky was pitching. Well, too many of these flamethrowers are just throwing. There's a big difference. I also like the fact that Granky is one of the few players left older than I am. Not many of those types of players still around. His first major league game occurred the year after I graduated from high school. But there's a serious point to be had here while I'm lamenting the fact that I'm no longer a young man. Granky's longevity might be a result of the type of pitcher he is now. Although there was a time where Granky was more of a power pitcher than he is today. In 2011, he, ne- he led the National League in strikeout per nine inning ratio at 10.5, which today seems not all that impressive, above average for sure, but not not league leader material. But nowadays, he's not one who's going to put a lot of stress on his arm trying to rush the ball up to the plate at 234 miles per hour. Those throwers tend to flame out much quicker than pitchers who don't throw that hard, and they are also more prone to injuries, which requires surgeries. Jamie Moyer lasted forever because of his easy, low-stress delivery, and also his pitch repertoire. There are, of course, exceptions to this rule. Nolan Ryan is the most obvious, but also Randy Johnson. But it's still a good rule of thumb to follow, which might mean that Marco Gonzalez has a long career ahead of him, barring some sort of devastating injury or something else unforeseen, heaven forbid. Gonzalez is a similar tight pitcher to, pitcher to Granke, although the difference in velocity from Granke's fastball to, a, to his off-speed and breaking stuff is much more extreme. And, of course, Gonzalez is a southpaw, while Granke is a northpaw. He's right-handed in any case. Anyways, Granky is almost like Bob Tewksbury with more walks and more strikeouts. Not that Granky walks a ton of hitters, but Tewksbury hardly walked anyone. Over his career, Tewksbury had a walks-to-nine innings ratio of 1.5. That blows Granky, Moyer, and Gonzalez out of the water, and there were three seasons of his where that ratio was below one. Yeah. Anyways, I'm getting a little off track again, but, you know, there's not really much else to say about Saturday's ball game. I'm not going to talk about the Mariners' offense. No one was getting to Greeky that day. Although I will say that one of the four Mariner hits was had by J.P. Crawford, who's extended his hitting streak to eight games, which is modest, but considering he was hitting 160 prior to that streak and 357 cents, including Sunday, where he did not record a hit, He's found his stroke, and he's found consistency. He's not going to hit 357 for the remainder of the season, but he has seemingly figured it out. Speaking about Flexen for a little bit, you have to feel for him. He did do his job. He kept his team in the game through his six innings. And while I'm not going to say the 10 hits he gave up were scattered... You know, they were as scattered as 10 hits in six innings can be. And Houston only got more than two hits in an inning once, where they scored their only run. So I guess I'll say that those hits were semi-scattered, which is not a real baseball term, but people can make up bogus terms like opener, so whatever. And, And again, nine of those 10 hits were singles. And unless your opponent strings a bunch of singles together, they're not gonna hurt you. So I'm chalking this one up 
as a win for Flexen, a good outing, even though it was not a win for the team. The M's bullpen did its job too, scoring a pitching rather three scoreless innings. Keenan Middleton was a tad on the wild side, but he did set Houston down in short order in the ninth to keep the game at one nothing. So he did do his job. Both Houston and Seattle pitching combined to allow one base on balls. One. Will Vest walked Carlos Correa in the eighth. And that may have been a product of Vest not wanting to give in to Correa, since on deck was Alemnes Diaz, followed by Abraham Toro, who was just recalled from the taxi squad. I don't know, but this was a day for pitching for sure. Too much Zach Greinke, that is the bottom line. Tip your cap to Mr. Greinke and go out the next day and try once again. Sometimes that's just all you can do. If you have a question or a comment, please submit it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com and I will reply to it on the air in an upcoming mailbag segment, probably doing one maybe Wednesday. Questions and comments on any subject at all are welcome and encouraged. It does not have to do with baseball. In fact, sometimes those questions and comments make for better programming. Coming up, an exclusive in-depth interview with Mariners Hall of Famer Alvin Davis. Uh, But not on this show. I'm going to look for one on YouTube after I'm done recording. Now this word from Belt Bar, and time once again to play my favorite game, Guess the Language. Today's ad will be presented in a foreign language, and you can guess what it is. Or you can wait until I tell you what it is after the ad is over. Either way, here it is. Built Bar е най-добрият протеинов бар на пазара. Те са с ниско съдържание на калории и захар, а също с високо съдържание на протеини и фибри. Те са меки и лесни за дъвчене и са покрити в 100% шоколад. Но най-хубавото е, че имат вкус. Any idea what language that was, gang? If you guessed Bulgarian, then you would be correct. It said, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. They are low in calories and sugar, and are also high in protein and fiber. They are soft and easy to chew, and are covered in 100% chocolate. But best of all, they taste great. Or at least I hope that's what it said. Try them for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and order a box or 17 or so. You can even compile a box of the flavors that most appeal to you. And I did exactly that. And the flavors that I chose were peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, and raspberry. I was a little disappointed that they were out of raspberry cheesecake. That's another great one. But whatever you choose, you can use promo code LOCKED15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-0-1-5, for 15% off your order of the greatest protein bars in the history of chocolate. Built Bar, bet you can't eat just one. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. That's good iced tea. Ladies and gentlemen, be a waiver wire winner with the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, former host of Hot Potato, no, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that will lead to league wins. I wonder how many out there listening actually have seen Bill Cullen's work. Anyways, follow Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Odyssey app or wherever the hell you get podcasts. 
DC Lundberg here talking about the Mariners' three-game series against the Houston Astros, which concluded yesterday. Game one was a victory secured in the bottom of the ninth. Saturday's was a one nothing loss against a pitcher who was on top of his game, meaning Sunday's game would be the rubber match of the series. Scott Service was unsure who, who would get the start. Either Justice Sheffield or Nick Margevich's would have to go on quote-unquote short rest. Four days rest, which would be normal, but the Mariners have that six-man rotation, so for their routine this year, it's short rest. Still residual from last year's madness. In any case, Margot got the nod, but he'd only go four-plus innings and was removed from the game after walking the leadoff hitter in the fifth with what's now being called arm fatigue. Service is not sure if Margot will be able to make his next start or not at this point, but it's something to monitor throughout the rest of the week. LJ Newsom came in to leave him, and he, along with the rest of the bullpen, did pretty well. Margo had an interesting afternoon prior to being removed. In his four-plus innings, he threw 77 pitches, uh, which is a lot for four innings. He only gave up one hit, and that hit could have been caught for an out if Jose Marmalejos had not lost it in the sun. It went for a ground rule double, which plated a run. The runner on base had reached via an error by third baseman Kyle Seeger and was wild pitched to second by Margevichus. Some bad luck led to that unearned run for sure. The M's defense committed three errors in this game, two of them by the usually reliable Kyle Seeger. Very unusual that he makes two errors in the same game. That sun double would actually be the only hit the M's pitching staff would allow. I'm not going to say that Marmalejos definitely would have caught the ball had he not lost it in the sun, but I think he most likely would have. So in a way, you could argue that his losing that ball in the sun cost the M's a no-hitter. It was only the second inning, still lots of baseball to be played after that. But looking back, it is kind of a shame. The Astros scored their run in the fifth with a little small ball. Chaz McCormick walked to lead off the frame. That was the abat during which Margevichus was very off and was removed from the game afterwards. Newsom came in and McCormick stole second, was moved along to third on a flyout, then plated on a sack fly. That would also be the last run the Astros would score, and they would have uh, only two more base runners all game. A walk and a hit by pitch in the seventh against Casey Sadler and Anthony Masevich, respectively. The Mariners scored in the first off Astros starter Jake Odorizzi. Odorizzi had walked Ty France and Jose Marmalejos, and with two out, Evan White drove in France on a single. Mariners would not score again in, until the fifth, but it would be a big inning. Taylor Trammell let it off with let it off, pardon me, with a single, and J.P. Crawford walked following a Tom Murphy flyout. That turned the lineup over to get to leadoff hitter Mitch Hanniger, who would clear the bases with a two-run triple to give the M's a 3-2 lead, and that would also be the end of Jake Odorizzi's day. Luke Rayleigh came in to relieve him, but he hung the second pitch he threw to Ty France just above the center of the strike zone, and France uh, did not miss it. He sent it out to the Houston bullpen for a two-run home run and a 5-2 lead. Two more would come in the seventh. Tom Murphy walked to get things underway against new pitcher Joe Smith. Uh, Crawford watched strike three go past him, but then Manager and France would hit back-to-back doubles, plating Murphy and Manager respectively for a 7-2 lead, and that would be the final. Mariners walked five times in this one, and like the Astros, scored more runs than they got base hits. Seven runs on six hits, while the Astros scored two runs on that one hit. Three of the five Mariner walks eventually scored. 
J.P. Crawford's modest hitting streak came to an end, but he still had a pretty decent day at the plate. 0 for 2 with a walk and a run scored is pretty good for a number 9 hitter. With him hitting more consistently, he's been doing a better job turning the lineup over to get to Mitch Hanniger with at least one runner on base, which came into play yesterday in the 5th. Having a number 9 hitter, almost like another leadoff hitter, is a huge asset. And if Crawford can keep up what he's been doing over the last 10 games, Manninger and France will get more opportunities to drive in runs from the top of the order. France is one of those guys who could easily be a number 5 hitter or even a number 3 guy. And while Manninger strikes out too much for me at the leadoff spot, you cannot argue with what he's done thus far at the top of the lineup. 2 for 4 on Sunday, bringing his average to 338. And since Crawford's hitting streak began on April 10th, Manninger is hitting 378 and slugging 730. With a runner aboard, especially a runner with speed like Crawford's, uh, the pitcher has to challenge the hitter more, and without looking at Manager's individual at-bats, I have to assume he's getting more fastballs to hit with Crawford aboard. Whatever the case, Crawford resetting the table for the top of the lineup from the number 9 spot has definitely been great for Manager, who was hitting 286 before Crawford's hitting streak. The offense has been inconsistent thus far, and there have been players who have not put it together yet. Dylan Moore and Taylor Trammell, they just look lost at times. Moore's hitting 128, and he went 0 for 3 yesterday and struck out at all three of his at-bats. Trammell's hitting 152, and that's after a 1 for 4 day yesterday. Tom Murphy's also off to a slow start with a batting average of 138. He also went 0 for 3 on Sunday. Scott Service was hopeful that Kyle Lewis could return to game action this evening against the Dodgers. Nothing official has been announced uh, as of this recording late Sunday night, but prior to Friday's game, he uh, called his return for the Dodgers series quote-unquote likely. Jake Fraley is farther away, unfortunately. He went on the 10-day injured list on April 7th with a strained hamstring incurred while making a diving catch. Since then, he has not taken part in any baseball activities, and according to an article on MLB.com written by Daniel Kramer, quote, he's likely another week from beginning a more robust rehab, end quote. And that article was from Friday evening. Assuming Lewis is returning tonight, my best guess would be that Braden Bishop is going to be the one sent out, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Trammell, quite honestly, given his struggles at the plate. If Bishop is sent out, then Trammell may have to pick it up to avoid being sent out upon Fraley's return. Just speculating, gang. Do not read anything into that. Tonight, the Mariners will face off against the defending world champion Dodgers in the first game of a two-game series. Justice Sheffield will draw the starting assignment for the Mariners, while the Dodgers will send Dustin May to the bump. Tomorrow will be an afternoon game, a 1.10 p.m. start time in Seattle, Spokane, and Los Angeles, 10.10 p.m. in Barcelona. Marco Gonzalez will face Julio Urias in a battle of left-handed pitchers who both wear number 7. One more item before we call it a show, ladies and gentlemen, and that is that uh, veteran Jay Bruce has announced his retirement. If you remember, Jay Bruce played 47 games with the Mariners in 2019, the beginning of that season, uh, slashing 212, 283, 533, and he hit his uh, 300th career home run as a Seattle Mariner, and I believe he was traded the next day, or at least a couple days later. That might have, I think that was his last hit as a Seattle Mariner. He was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies on June 2nd, 2019 for minor league infielder Jake Shiner. 
Overall in his major league career, Bruce slashed 244, 313, 467, with 319 home runs, 312 doubles, and 931 RBI. He was a minor league invite to Yankees camp this year and made the big league roster. However, in 10 games, he only hit 118, and last Friday he announced that this uh, weekend series would be his last, but he wound up not getting into any of the games. So congratulations to Jay Bruce on a pretty effective Major League Baseball career, and all the best in the future. There is the strong possibility that we will have another episode this afternoon to preview the Dodgers series more in-depth. Jason Hernandez may be available to talk some Dodgers baseball, and if he is, we'll do an episode for you. If we do, I hope to publish it um, around 4 o'clock or so this afternoon. Either way, on tomorrow's program, I will be joined by Felix Unger, Sprocket, and a pair of pruning shears. Don't forget to download, rate, and follow Locked on Mariners. Look for us on any podcasting app you can think of. Leave a rating and review. I can't talk all of a sudden. Leave a rating and review if your podcasting app of choice so allows. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I certainly hope that you enjoyed watching the Mariners beat the asterisks 2 of 3 over the weekend as well. I hope you'll join us back for the next episode of Locked on Mariners, whether that is uh, this afternoon or tomorrow. In the interim, ladies and gentlemen, have a great Monday. This is Joey Martin for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.